tremendous example of the Lord Jesus Christ next week. But 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor. If, for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, and you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, and while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Let's pray. Our Father in God, what a delight it is to be together with the people of God and to worship collectively. We know that worship is a life and it's every day, but it's a joy when we see you calling together people who have come to Christ and we, with our voices, exalt you through music and have the privilege of studying the word of God. Father, we know that as we face things on this earth, we are challenged with so many practical things in life uh, that challenge our walk with you and challenge our sin. And Father, I thank you and praise you that you've given us instruction from the word that is practical and be helpful. And I pray that as we study the word of God, it would be rightly divided. It would be applied by the spirit of God to each one of our needs. And that, Father, we would live here as citizens for your glory. We commit our study to you with thanksgiving. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. In our study here in 1 Peter, we have recognized that Peter is instructing us as to how we are to live as heavenly citizens. We are aliens. He started the book that way. We are strangers, those of us that have come to know Christ. And how are we to live as heavenly citizens on this earth? And how are we to live specifically today in domestic areas of responsibility in domestic areas. How are we to live as a pilgrim on earth? He has just addressed, and we finished last week, living as heavenly citizens as far as our relationship to civil authorities, a very practical area that we just studied. And that took us through verse 17. Believers and their relationship to those who are our authorities over us in the civil area. Now he moves into a different area. And I want you to note this, and I will come back to it again a little later. From chapter 2, verse 18, all the way through chapter 3, verse 7, 
That is the next area. He is going to be dealing with heavenly citizens and their responsibilities in a domestic relationship. How are our responsibilities? He will deal with slaves, he will deal with wives, he will deal with husbands. What is the relationship here? As we come to our text this morning, first of all, you notice it starts with the word servants, and we will get back to that. I want to get back into some background here, though. Many, many have looked at this text and see it as a very controversial area and a very sensitive area because some of the Bibles have that translated slaves. And because of the word slaves or servants, several things happen emotionally and it becomes very controversial. One is that many just look at this and simply say this is a passage that is strictly really out of date. And it has no relationship to today. And if we want any application at all, it's an employer-employee relationship. And I want to say to you right up front, it is good to look at this and have application because there is much application in the employer-employee relationship. And you will see that, I think, as we even unfold the text. And for a lot of you young people, I think there's some great principles here because some of you are starting out on your first job. Others are preparing for life in where you will be working. And so there's tremendous instruction here that can be helpful to us. But also, we need to understand slavery because the Bible does deal with slavery. And for many of us today, we have to be honest, we say, well, slavery, even in the United States, is a thing of the past. It has no relationship to us whatsoever, whereas others still are under the yoke of slavery even in the world today. And so I want to deal with some background that I think is important for us to understand because I've heard and read, in my opinion, a number of things even on the topic of slavery that are really not biblically based. And so I, I really want to give some information that can be helpful to us. And then, as I said, we'll try to unpack at least the first part of this. And then we will see the example of the Lord Jesus Christ and there is an awful lot to unpack with that. Why is this a sensitive subject when you even hear the word slavery today? Well, let me say one of the reasons might be because of all the atrocities that have existed throughout the ages, all of the abuses that have happened with slavery, and in relationship to that, a lot of the discrimination that has even carried over, particularly in relationship to whites and blacks, even in our own country, and a number of things. There's a lot of bigotry that has been seen and faced throughout history, and because of that, as soon as slavery is mentioned, <clears throat> it becomes a very sensitive topic and is touching the very emotions of individuals. And it becomes a very sensitive issue even today. If you look at even our country, when we go back to the Civil War, a Civil War was based upon or really centered around the concept of slavery and, and whites and blacks. And even today, that while we might not be looking at it from a slavery point of view, if you think of what happened in Ferguson, uh, uh, what was it? Uh, I was about to say it's Missouri. Um, when you look there, all that's happened with, again, the relationship of the blacks and the whites and 
and a white police officer and then the black boy that was killed. And a lot of that is a carryover, not just because of that relationship, but goes back to even the concept of slavery. So there's a lot of things that really affect us. So I want to give us some general information biblically. I'm not going to beat it to death, I hope, but I want to give you in enough information so that we can understand because Peter was addressing a real subject in addressing, as the Bible does, problems that were going on in very practical ways. And he tells us some very, very difficult things to swallow even when we understand it. So let's deal with a couple of things here this morning. First of all, I want you to know that slavery has existed since the earliest days of man. It has. In fact, when God was calling out the nation of Israel, God told Abraham the nation had not yet been formed. And it was going to be formed through him. But if you go all the way back, I won't turn there to Genesis chapter 15, you will find that God said that the, his own people would be slaves in the nation of Egypt for a period of 400 years. And he, he began to address the topic of slavery. And in fact, if you just go a little bit further down the line in the Bible, and we're back in the first book of the Bible, Genesis, and you go to the great-grandson of Abraham, you come to a man by the name of Joseph. And many of you are familiar with him. Joseph was sold in Genesis chapter 37. He was sold by his brothers into slavery and has become a tremendous encouragement and an example to many a believer even today over the way he reacted in those situations and over the way he behaved because even in the life of Joseph, and I could give a whole message on that easily, Joseph had his focus on God and he knew he could not offend his God even in the very difficult situations that he was placed in. So all the way back to the book of Genesis, when man was created, you find out slavery was going on even then. We find out in the law of Moses, and I won't turn there, in the book of Exodus, where we are very familiar with the Ten Commandments and, and other laws that were there, the Lord talked extensively about how slaves were to be treated. He didn't say that slavery didn't exist and ignore it. He didn't commend it. But he talked about how slaves were to be treated, especially even by the Israelites, and reminding them of how they had been treated. In many of the eastern countries, in ancient times, there were slaves. They all, most of those countries, had slaves that were subject to their masters. In the Roman government, under which Peter was, to really move ahead, it is obvious that that slaves existed, if you know a little bit of history. And if you know what the conditions are that even Peter and Paul and, and the Lord Jesus Christ were living under, that was a time in which there were slaves that were there. And they still exist today, even in the 21st century. There are places in the world that there are slaves by the full sense of the word. To give you some perspective a little bit, Try to do a little digging, and again, I don't want to bore you with a lot of statistics, but to help us to understand the subject. Uh, one of the statistics that I read is the Roman Empire, apparently, in the time of Peter, over 20%, one of the figures that I saw was 
over 20% of the entire Roman Empire was under slavery. Over 20%. And as you know that you probably have, and you do, about 30, 40% that was involved with the hierarchy right away. So a lot of it was there. The early church, when I did a little research on the early church at the time of Christ, it is very fascinating that a number of statistics pointed out the fact that the largest part, over 50% of the Gentile church, not the Jews, but the Gentile church were slaves that had come to Christ. It's interesting that many of the Gentiles were slaves. And then they came to Christ in the early church, many, many. What were the reasons for slavery? Why were people slaves so that we understand it? And I believe, again, this will be important to our context. Let me give you some of the reasons that I was able to research why slavery took place. Number one, one of the most common ones was that people became prisoners of war. When a country would come in and they would defeat another country, they would then either wipe them out or they would take a number of the people and they now became the slaves of their conquerors. Those who conquered them now were over them and they were now slaves and belonged to that country. Others became slaves simply because their parents were slaves and they were born into slavery. So that as their parents had been slaves, because they were an offspring, they automatically were a slave. And some of them became that way. Some people became slaves because of simply owing a debt. They had gotten to the place in which they had, couldn't handle something, and financially, let's put it that way, and so someone else took care of it, and now they were a slave to that person because of a debt that had been incurred that they could not pay that someone else took care of that. And by the way, that is still going on today very heavily uh, in, in a different form, however. Some, and a lot of people don't want to hear this one, but it is true, some were slaves because they were willing to be a slave. What do you mean, Pastor Dan? They wanted to be a slave because that was the way they provided for their family. They did not have other jobs, and so what they would do is they would put themselves out to a family so that their family could be fed and taken care of in return for their labor in being a slave to a particular household. Okay? And some, unfortunately, and that is where even our country came in, some became slaves through what is called slave trafficking. And that is where most, most of the slaves that happened in North America were a result of that, where they went to Africa and then they sold people or took people out and just sold them to other people so that they would be part of their household. Those are just some of the ways. Some facts that we need to realize when we're dealing with this idea of servants or slaves that we will talk about, is that there are and always will be, catch this, there are and there always will be social inequalities. You have to understand that. That is foreign to the United States of America's thinking. There has been and there always will be social inequalities. That does not mean that a person is not created in the image and likeness of God and equal in God's sight. We are. All men are. And when I say men, all men, all women, all children, 
We are children of God in the sense of creation, been made in the image and likeness of God. The book of Ephesians says that. Okay? And in that sense, we are equal as human beings under God. But socially, there will always be inequality, such as the rich and the poor. As much as everyone in this room would like to have all the money that everybody else has got, it will never happen, ever. Even the Lord said, did he not? The poor you will always have with you. It's just a fact of life. We will also recognize that there will always be master and servant or master and slave relationships. That will always exist as long as man is around. Someone will have a position of authority over somebody else. To make it very practical, there will always be employer-employee relationships. Though again, we kind of blur all of that. We ought to be thankful, by the way, if you have a job, you ought to be thankful that you're working for somebody. Period. Most of the time, we're not. We complain about all the conditions and everything else, especially if you live in this country. There will be always the type of thing of an owner and a renter, an owner and a borrower. Those relationships and social inequities will always be here. A person, however, who is a slave, another fact, is under the authority of someone else. That is very simple. That is a fact. No matter how we talk about it, a person that is under someone else, the concept of slave, employee, employee, relation, employer, employee, <coughs> um, we are under their authority. And the key is we must behave properly. That is the key. In all of these social involvements, and as we will see, domestic relationships, I want you to catch this. It is important that we understand our behavior is what's important. And if we do not have proper behavior, listen, you cannot even function socially. And that is true, and that is why a lot of things are in chaos. Because no one wants to function by that authority or being under an authority. We, we don't want that. We don't like that. And it's a challenge. And the challenge that they were facing even in the day of Peter was this. You had an unbeliever who had now come to Christ. They're equal not only as a human being, but now we're equal in Christ, and yet they had people over them who were believers, or over them who were unbelievers. Now what do I do? Do I just say that, well, I belong to Christ, nothing matters? And we throw out all the social environment, we throw out all the social responsibilities, all of those relationships. How do I behave? Should I seek to get out of the position? What should my attitude be toward my owner? What should my attitude be toward those who are employing me? Especially if they're not a good employer, if they are not a good master. What should I do? And I think it was a very practical situation that even Peter was facing. Let me say a couple of things here. In all social relationships, our conduct should be in reference, as a believer now I'm talking, to our desire to please God. No matter what social relationship we're talking about, no matter what domestic relationship we are talking about, 
Our conduct should always be in relationship of our desire to please God and to do his will. It should not be anything else. That's where it starts. Our conduct in all relationships should be to fulfill, listen, the delegation imposed by that relationship. Let me repeat that. I believe that our conduct in pleasing God in all of our relationships, whatever they are, should be to fulfill the delegation that is imposed because of the relationship. For example, if it is a master-slave relationship, if I'm the master, I am to please God above all. And I am to remember who the slave is. If I am a slave, I am to remember that I am to please God and I am in that master-slave relationship. If I am on a job and I have an employer, I am to please God. And I'm giving you a summary and we're going to unpack it. I am to please God in that relationship and to remember that I am responsible as an employee to my employer. Let me bring it home. If I am in a parent-child relationship, as a parent, I am always to please God and I am to take on the responsibility of a parent. If I am a child, I am to behave in that responsibility, to obey them. Why? Because that is my position in the parent-child relationship. Teacher-student, it is the same thing. That's what we're saying. Whatever the relationship is, my conduct should respond to it. I am to respect that teacher. We'll get to all of that. But I am to understand right away that I am to please God as a teacher. I am to please God as a student. But if I am the student, I am to treat that relationship properly. It is not I am on the same level as the teacher. It is not that at all. I am not on the same level as the parent as a child. It is different. And part of what happens in our society is that really gets messed up. It really does. And, but we need to understand that. Uh, the, our conduct should be determined by the relationship and not by, this is the third point I want to make here, our conduct should be determined by the relationship and not by the character of the one who is over us. You're going to see that in the text. Let me repeat that. Our conduct should be determined by the relationship and not by the character. What if I got a bad boss? What if I got a bad master that I am a slave to? The conduct is still to be determined not by how they behave, but how I am to behave in that relationship. And we will see that. We will see that. Part of the problem that happens even here is the thinking of the Western culture in the United States of America. What do you mean by that? Uh, part of the thinking there is uh, we are demanding our rights all the time. And we think that everybody, you hear the term all the time, that was unfair, this is unfair. What are we thinking? Everybody's got to be equal all the time. That is just not so. It is just not so. So we need to understand, slavery came in different ways. These relationships come in different ways, but the key we're going to see is behaving right before Christ. Let's get into the text. All right, chapters, chapter 2, verses 18 to 20, first of all. He starts off with the word servant. 
What type of word is this? What is it dealing with? This is dealing with a domestic slave. I told you there could be a slave because of war, could be a slave because of other circumstances. They were born into it. He is using a term here that is only used a few times in the New Testament. And he is using a term in which it's a domestic slave. It is someone who is running a household. They are under a master, but they have been given responsibility for the conduction or the conducting of the business of the household. This is not the normal word doulas. And it is used several times. One of us may, uh, one text that I will turn to that I think will help you is Luke chapter 16. Let's go there. It's used there. Luke chapter 16. First of all, it's actually used in a verse that you're probably very familiar with. If you look at verse 13 for just a moment. Remember this? No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one or love the other, or else he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. And there's the point of serving God of wealth, and it's using the same term that we have in this context. But I want you to go back to understand even the context of Luke. Just go back to the first two verses, because I think it'll give you the picture. This is commonly referred to as the unjust servant, but I think you'll see the, the context. Verse 1. Now, he was also saying to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, and this manager was reported to him as squandering his possessions. Now, it's a different word, but here's the context of it. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Give an accounting of your management, for you are no longer to be manager. And I won't read the rest of it. But that's what leads into, by the way, verse 13 there, when the Lord talks about you can't serve God and money. Okay, what are we talking about? You're talking about someone who managed the household, and he had a responsibility. It wasn't his. He didn't own it. This term is also used in Acts chapter 10, verse 7. I won't turn there, but Cornelius. When Cornelius called his servants to him, people that were taking care of his house, it is used in Romans chapter 10 and verse 4 as, as well. What is the point? If you go back to 1 Peter, I want you to see this. I said we are dealing with domestic relationships. We are. Why? Beginning in verse 18, when he uses the word servants, he uses the one that has to do with a household. And he is going to use it with three basic positions. What? The servant first, verse 18. Chapter 3, verse 1, the wives next. And in chapter 3, verse 7, the husbands. He has moved from civil government in verses 13 through 17. So these are just not isolated verses. He's trying to tell us how to live belonging to Christ in these very practical ways. How do we live with the government? Now, how do I live in the household? How do I behave as a wife? How do I to behave as a husband? How am I to behave? And he starts with this one. As a servant, someone just given the responsibilities. In effect, they are a slave, but a slave in the household. Okay? And this is why many apply it, because it is that household term, to an employer-employee relationship, which I think does have its rightful place. What is to happen? When we're in that position, 
We are just managing. We don't own the house. We are managing it, or if you will, we're on a job. We don't own the company. We're working for somebody in a very practical way. Or if you are in a slave relationship, if that were to exist, what is the action that is to take place? Now, this is going to hurt. What does he say? Be submissive to your masters with all respect. Wow. It's the same exact word that he used in 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution. We already studied that. Now he says, if you're in a servant relationship, because of that relationship, that's why I said what I did earlier, because of your relationship with the servant-master relationship, submit to it. Put yourself under that ranking. Understand that isn't a lesser position in God's eyes. Let me be very practical. In God's eyes, if somebody is a custodian, are they someone that's worse than someone who is a CEO in a company? Not at all. Recognize, though, that that person has a position, and so does the custodian. We cannot function even in this church if the custodian doesn't do his job. Right? And same thing in the companies. We need secretaries. We need things. It's not just that is the relationship. And so what he says here is as a servant, that is your position. So what are you to do? Submit. You are under the authority. This is not a protesting situation. This is not equal rights where I demand my rights. And by the way, let me say this on the other side of the coin. I am very thankful that in the employment situation, we are grateful for this. They have recognized through the centuries many abuses that have taken place and have now put in laws to protect the safety and to protect the mistreatment even of employees. Those things are good. But it still says recognize the relationship. Okay? Line up under. Being a Christian, listen to me carefully. Being a Christian does not give you the right to rebel against those who are over you. And that was a concern here. Are we just to rebel with anybody that's given authority now because I'm free in Christ? No. And we will get there. But for example, on the job, am I, do I have the right that if I am supposed to be producing something uh, for the company, that I turn around and say to the, the company boss, hey, listen, I get a bigger authority. I'm going to distribute tracts today, and I'm going to talk to everybody about Christ. I don't care about whether I produce the job. Some, some Christians behave that way. That's improper behavior. We had to submit. Why? For the stability of the home. In this case, for the home to be able to function properly, the servant has got to submit to the master. The slave has got to submit to that master in the relationship. The behavior has to be right. By the way, I really believe that this is part of why. That's why I think this is practical. This is part of what's going on in our government today, in our homes today, in our society today, and it has broken down the family. Children don't want to take the position of children, they know more than the parents know. Husbands and wives don't have any relationship, it's totally confused. 
You've got jobs that are being closed because employees are misbehaving and absolutely destroying the company rather than being thankful they even have a job. All of this breaks down, and that's what he's dealing with. You can't function that way. In God's order was you would obey. How are they to do it? With all respect, notice that. You not only to submit, but you to be able to submit with respect, all respect. This is kind of what we were just looking at with the government. You may not like the president. You may not like the governors. You may not like the mayors. You may not like his representatives. However, you ought to respect the position. Remember, with them, it was a God-given position. And they are over you. And now, even in the structure of the home, it's the same way. There are servants that were there, and he recognizes that. And you were not to have bitterness. You were not to be complaining. Rather, you were to be grateful, and you were to submit yourself to them with all respect for that position. How far is it going to go? We're going to see that in a second. Let me mention it now, though. It says there, not just to those who are gentle, but to those who are unreasonable. You have got to be kidding me. No. You see, that's the difference between God's standard and man's standard. This never, ever, it is just like with the government. I want you to understand the practicality of this. Like with the government, they will stand responsible before God. If they do not behave properly, God will take care of that later. They are supposed to be, what? Recognizing those who are doing well, and they are to be basically punishing evil. That doesn't always happen, but that is not our responsibility. Our responsibility is to submit to the government. In the home, it may not be, or on a job, it may not be that we have a boss that, that is the best boss to work for, but as long as you are working for them, you are to respect that position and to submit to the authority of that position, even if they're unreasonable, even if they are crooked. It's interesting because the word crooked there, I think we can relate to. It's where we get our term scoliosis. It's a, you know what a scoliosis is, right? It's, it, it happens to a lot of people with the spine. It's a bent spine. What happens if I have an, a boss that's a bent boss? He, he's just not straight with everything. You're still to respect that position and submit to it. You say, I don't know, Peter, you're out in left field. Really? Let's look at a couple of passages. Go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. This is tough. We don't like to hear it. Especially when we're living in a world that everything is about me and my rights and my Facebook page and my account and my iPhone and me iPhone and everything's me and everything's I. And the concept of submitting to somebody else, you've got to be kidding me. Look at this. Chapter 6, 1 Timothy. Now it is a different word, but you get the point. This relationship is there. All who are under the yoke as slaves are to regard their owners as worthy. Their owners. Worthy of all honor. Why? Here it is. So that the name of God and our doctrine will not be spoken against. That's the key. We represent God. You represent God in your house. You represent God on your job. And we are to remember that we represent him. And so that's why we are called to honor them in that way. Look at verse 2. 
Those who have believers as their masters must not be disrespectful to them because they are brethren, but must serve them. You see, are they equal as believers? Yes. But they must serve them all the more. You ought to be thankful that you have a believer for a boss. You've got to be kidding me. Not my believing boss. Could be worse. Because those who partake of the benefit are believers and beloved. And then it says, teach and preach these principles. I don't know how many are teaching and preaching these principles today, but that's what we're told to do. Well, maybe that's just Paul's uh, idea with Timothy. Go to Titus chapter 2. A couple of quick verses. I want you to see this. Titus chapter 2, verse 9. Urge bond slaves, that is the word doulos there, but urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything. Wow. To be well-pleasing. This is practical, not argumentative. Would you go do this? Are you kidding me? No way. That's sometimes the response today. Rather than saying, thank you, yes, I will go do that because I'm serving the Lord. By the way, I brought up Joseph earlier. Do you remember that picture with Joseph? Even in prison, what did he do? He won favor with the gods because of his behavior. Potiphar put him in charge of the whole household because of his behavior. Go to the book of Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Come on, a couple more. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh. There's that relationship again. That's why I used those principles earlier. Do you see, because of the relationship. How? With fear and trembling. Remember who we were told to fear last week? God. Our fear is really the fear of God. We do it with fear and trembling. In the sincerity of your heart, look at this, as to Christ. Not by way of eye service, as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ. Are we not that? We were just taught that in 1 Peter. We are a slave. We are a bond slave, was the word used there, of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who we belong to. Doing the will of God, we're from the heart. See, I'm serving the Lord on my job. In those household relationships where there were people that were hired, and we call them, uh, sometimes uh, people have maids or uh, and so forth, that are working for them and whatever. It's not exactly the same relationship, but you get the picture. They should be thankful and just serving the Lord. I shared with you, and it was really a lesson to me, kind of outside of this a little bit, but it was a testimony, and I know I shared it with the church. But when my son, my oldest son, was near death, um, it was a couple of years ago now, and as you know, I had to leave and go down there and whatever, one of the greatest blessings uh, to me was a servant in the hospital. And this guy was picking up, wiping the blood and every, all this stuff. Not a very pleasant topic, but he's doing this and he's singing away and he was singing a Christian song and I got talking with him and we started talking about the Lord and how much he loved the Lord and my wife was there and he said that. He said, boy, you made my day. I ran into another believer and, he said, and I said, how are you doing with the job? He says, well, I just get this job but I'm, I don't serve them anyway. I'm serving the Lord and he... What a testimony. That was a living testimony of this. He had doctors who could care less who he was. You know, hey, just clean that up. 
Okay. Singing away. Singing hymns to the Lord. Why? I'm serving the Lord. I got a job. And that's the attitude that he had. He was a testimony to me. That's what it was. Doing the will of the Lord. And look at he says in verse 7. With goodwill rendering service as to the Lord, not to men. I have to say that I honestly did that when I was younger. In the, not in this sense, in the bad sense. I remember when the boss wasn't around fooling around on the job and taking longer breaks than I should have and doing things. I wasn't saved, but that's the way I operated. A person that serves the Lord's not going to do that. Why? Because they don't need the boss watching to see if they're doing the work. They do the work because they're serving the Lord, not men. And notice this, verse 8. Knowing that whatever good thing each has done, this will receive back from the Lord. Whether slave or free, it doesn't matter. The Lord wants you to serve him. He wants you to be a testimony for him. Colossians chapter 3. One more text. Colossians chapter 3. Verse 22. Slaves in all things. It's kind of consistent, don't you think? We don't like to hear it, but it is pretty consistent. Slaves in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth. Just a different way of seeing it. Not with, uh, excuse me, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity. You notice it's coming from the heart, fearing the Lord. This is the context that everybody quotes. Whatever ye do, do your work heartily as to the Lord rather than for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord whom you serve. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done. And that without partiality. You're not going to be able to say, well, I was a Christian, Lord. Yeah, but you didn't do what you were called to do. You didn't recognize that relationship that you were in. Going back to before with the government, you didn't recognize that relationship you were in with your boss. You didn't recognize that relationship that you were in, the parent-child relationship or the servant. I had a couple more passages, but I want to get back so we can get to this part of it. Go back to the book of 1 Peter. I want you to see this, not only to those, again, who are good and gentle, but to those who are unreasonable. He's very practical. Watch. For this finds favor if, for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. Are there people who will treat you unjustly? Absolutely. Are there bosses that way? Are there possible slave and servant relationships where the slave will be mistreated? There have been even slaves put to death unjustly. But the Lord will take care of that. But then he says something very practical. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? That's pretty practical. What do you mean if you sin? That's what sometimes believers do. Rather than serve God, they rebel and they take action even against the Lord, really. They're involved in sin of gossip. They're involved in sin of slander. They're involved in all kinds of sin. And then they get punished and it's like, oh, I'm being punished because I'm a Christian. No, you're not. You're being punished because you're not doing your work. No, you're being punished because you're not behaving properly. 
And that's what the Lord makes very clear here. We're not to be punished because we deserve to be punished. But if when you do right, and here's the key, I am to do what is right before the Lord, and that is in every relationship. And so he starts with the household servant. You're in a house, and that was the environment that Peter was talking about. You're in the house, and you've been given management to do. The boss isn't around. The man of the house is maybe out checking. Let's say it was the farm in this particular case. It could have been. Who knows? But he's out there, and he's checking on the farm, and all of a sudden you're goofing off, and you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, or you're taking money off the top, and he's trusting in you for his finances, and it's all going. That's not the way you're to behave. You're to manage the, the house properly. You're to behave properly. And even if he's not the best boss, he's an unreasonable man, <clears throat> you are still, because of the Lord that you're serving, to pay proper attention to what you're doing in that relationship. And again, to bring it back to the employer-employee relationship, which I think is a tremendous application here. Application. He was dealing with the servant in the household. But application there, yes. Young people, you're going to get some bosses that are going to be very difficult. But remember, God is working all things together for good. Remember, I can count it all joy when I face various and diverse trials, James chapter 1. Remember, we are going to see it, though we've referred to it. Who, beyond the Lord Jesus Christ, was mistreated? He's master of the universe. Submitted to the government. Submitted to soldiers who slapped him. Submitted to a crown of thorns. All unjustly. Why? Look ahead to it. Because he kept entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously. I serve a bigger master. I serve a great father. And so do you and I. We are going to, to try to make it practical for today, up through verse 20. We are going to face relationships, folks, in which those who have authority over us are good and those who have authority over us are not so good. And we're going to be involved, as long as we live on this earth, in relationships that are an unequal situation, where I am under the authority of somebody else. And what am I to do? Continue serving my heavenly Father in a way that honors him, in a way that does not discredit his name, in a way that's right, even submitting to the chores. Now, we've already learned, I never crossed the line where they asked me to do something against the word of God that is clearly revealed. We saw that with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and it'd be the same thing here. Even Peter and Paul called upon the authorities in the proper context. But other than that, I am to submit. I am to recognize that I have a greater person than I'm serving, and I want to earn favor with God. Or real grace, it's actually the word that comes from grace. I want to see the grace of God working even in my own life. If I live as a Christian, doesn't 2 Timothy tell me what will happen? I will face Anybody? You still here? Persecution. You're going to happen. But you're better off facing persecution because you're doing what's right than to be misbehaving and using those as excuses to dishonor the name of Christ. So it's kind of a strong charge, but he says, servants, guess what? Remember we told you you see this term over and over again? Be submissive. 
put yourself underneath that person. Get yourself into the proper rank and do the best job that you can. And I would say this on the business environment and employer-employee situation. Be the best employee that you can. Shine, not for the sake of you, but for the sake of the Savior that you're serving from the heart. Let the Lord take care of the rest. And you will stand out in a society like this. Let's close. Heavenly Father, thank you and praise you. We know we come to the word of God and even to see something with servants or slaves, it's, it's hard because there's been so much abuse, even in this country. There's been so much false representations. And yet, Father, we know that we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to live for him in whatever relationship we've been allowed to be in by your grace. Help us to serve you. Help us to win favor of you. Help us, Lord, to do the best that we can, even in our jobs. We pray, Father, that if we have a situation where we do have bosses or people over us who are not gentle, but who are harsh, who are crooked, help us to do what we should be doing, and that is to pray for them, to pray for their salvation, to pray for you to work in their life, to pray for you to have us have opportunities to even be a testimony and a witness, not only with our lives, but verbally. Thank you for this time. We pray that you'd bless us as we depart. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Let me again encourage you to come on out tonight, as Chris did for the praise and praise.